Hello and welcome to our sixth episode of Hit and Miss with myself, Piyal Mutila, in the UK, in Oxford, and Shundipan Banerjee in India. How are you, Shundipan? I'm fine, Piyal. And today we will be uh, delighted to inform our audience, our listeners, that we have a special guest with us. Isn't it, Piyal? Oh, yes. I've been very excited about this since you told me a few days ago that we could have this guy on. I've been I've been researching about him a lot. Um, introduce him for us, Sir yes, Shundipan. So it's my pleasure to introduce Tim Cutler, who is the obviously he he lives in Australia. He is a former cricketer. He uh, he is also the form, former CEO of Hong Kong Cricket and the flag bearer of emerging nations, isn't it, Tim? <laughs> oh geez when, when i hear there's been a lot of pressure uh, there's a, well, a lot yeah. of research into me it's like oh how deep have you gone but no lovely <laughs> to be here and uh yeah a f- flag bearer evangelist um yeah and any, anything like that I'm, I'm i'm happy to wear that uh that moniker brilliant brilliant what's it like in brisbane right now and you live in brisbane right queensland yes i've been back in Australia for just over a year now. I'm originally from Sydney, moved up to Hong Kong in 2013. So I was there for five and a half years, um, fell in love, moved back to Australia and, and been in Brisbane for a year. Wow. Amazing. That's amazing. And what, uh, how, so what made you go to Hong Kong? What made you? Was it the culture? Was it just, was it for cricket? Was it for any, for any reason that you wanted to go to Hong Kong or was it for business or... I feel, like, I feel like I'm in a room with a lot of bright lights um, on me. Sort of <laughs> like, what, um, uh, well, I started working, well, I'll take a step back again. My sure. original and, and current profession is actually insurance. And back then I worked for a marine insurance broker that was based in Hong Kong. Um, and opportunity came to move to Hong Kong in 2013. I hadn't done too much research into, well, any research into cricket there because I was afraid of, you know, knowing too much about something that I wasn't going to have an opportunity to experience. But when I knew about it, I really started looking into it a lot. And that was about playing there rather than anything else. Um, got to move there, um, started playing with Hong Kong Cricket Club and um, and got to know what was happening with Hong Kong Cricket. And I'm sure we'll get into that detail there. But what drew me to Hong Kong was really the culture and the feel of the place. I went up there on a, on a few different work trips and always loved it just the the feel of the city could really feel an energy um around the city uh and i, I thought geez I'd, I'd love a chance to live here um and things really lined up nicely and i, and I was able to live there for for almost six years so it was initially the uh, the energy of the place but it was funny in the end the uh, the th- things that unfurled and presented themselves uh, once i moved there wow that's amazing it sounds like I want to go there now. You may, you sound like someone who could be from the tourist board, <laughs> Hong Kong. Well, well, the recent past probably hasn't uh, hasn't been the best for it. Pretty <laughs> much true. as soon as I, I left to come back to Australia, that was when the protests really uh, started, um, and obviously the issues around the coronavirus as well. Beforehand, the, I could have very happily been, uh, yeah, taking uh, commission for people moving there. But the the, the sort of melting <laughs> pot of cultures, the the food, the, it's a hot skip and a jump to so many great places around uh, East Asia, and it's well f- from being from a 
Australia where it's so far away from everywhere to be one flight from almost anywhere in the world um, was was great. Um, so especially for me, having uh, my daughter lives in the UK. She's 13 and, and goes to school in uh, in Rochester. So um, oh, wow. I always spend a lot of time between Australia and, and the UK anyway. And, and Hong Kong became that hub for me in between, but it just meant I was one stop. Halfway house. So, yeah, one, <laughs> that's, that's me halfway house. So um, yeah, her name's Zara. So it was a, yeah, one, one step closer to Zara. So it was a great, great place. Oh, fantastic, fantastic. Wow. Sandipan, uh, um, do you have any questions first? I've got loads. But... I was going to say, it's like, Sandipan, <laughs> uh, you can get your one question out now. Sandipan, <laughs> <laughs> I'll let you go first. Otherwise, I'm just going to be talking for the whole hour. <laughs> no, I was just wondering, team, uh, like you have already mentioned how we went to Hong Kong, how we fell in love with the country. But how did you fall in love with associate cricket or the emerging nations? Well, it's probably the same answer, actually. It was moving to Hong Kong, and I started playing for, for Hong Kong Cricket Club. There was a, a connection through my old club in Sydney, Eastern Suburbs, um, through a left another left-arm spinner on my left-arm orthodox uh, named Mark Fusis, who actually played for Hong Kong in uh, one of the Sixers tournaments in the, uh, the mid-2000s. And he put me in touch with Darren Tucker, who was captain of cricket at Hong Kong Cricket Club at the time. Um, little sidebar there, Darren Tucker is, is head of New Balance Cricket and was responsible for starting New Balance getting into cricket um, and is the brother of Rod Tucker, who we'd all know as the test umpire. Mm. But anyway, I uh, started playing for Hong Kong Cricket Club. So that was season 13-14. Uh, they run the same cricket season as a Southern Hemisphere summer just because of the tropical weather. Um, and that was about the same time the team was qualifying for the 2014 World T20. Remember, that was in Bangladesh. And mm. I was amazed to move to a place where I was playing against these guys on the weekend and then seeing them qualify uh, for a global tournament and I just started doing some digging and I, and I really found the whole story inspiring about these guys balancing jobs, playing for their country uh, and overachieving. You know, I was in the, the top bar at Hong Kong Cricket Club that match when Hong Kong beat Bangladesh in the 2014 World Cup and I was in tears watching that. Like, this is amazing. This is a, a little, it's not even a country, it's a territory with fewer than a thousand senior cricketers beating a country on their in Chittagong, you know, in the, the belly of the beast, in front of a, a screaming home crowd in a World Cup uh, against a country of 160 million people who are cricket mad. Um, and I think from that moment, I, there was an affinity with the guys I was playing against and what they were going through and trying to get their story out there because I just, I was wondering when was the world going to start talking about this amazing upset? And, you know, we hear about Japan beating South Africa in the Rugby World Cup. We hear about Iceland beating mm. England in the Euro in, in, in football. You know, why aren't we hearing about this amazing story of, of, of Hong Kong beating Bangladesh and, and to see so little spoken about um i guess that really fired a bit of a passion and um before you even get a chance to ask me i sort of let that rolls into the, the to how i got into cricket administration in, in hong kong i just came to know a few people around the around the community um and after qualifying for the world cricket league championship by virtue of coming third at the world cup qualifier in 2014 they got into the well they got odi status for the first time more funding and they, they knew they needed to professionalize so um in the end they were hiring for their first ever ceo and see there i was with business background 
cricket passion, cricket experience. Um, I had a real vision of what cricket could be for Hong Kong and, and threw my name in the, threw my hat in the ring, so to speak. And, um, I was successful and there they were selecting a 33 year old insurance broker to, um, to be their next <laughs> CEO. So it all was, well, I guess you make your own luck, but it was just fortunate that I was there at the time. I'm sure if they didn't know who I was and I was applying for some from somewhere else, they wouldn't have thought about me, but even so, I wouldn't have known the, the great story that is Hong Kong cricket. And from there, that passion to, to really grow the game beyond the world that we were pretty much shown um, really kept burning. So when I when I finished the the role with with Hong Kong after two years, um, the well, no, nothing stopped in terms of the passion wise, and and that's what got me to start emerging cricket. I said, well, look, if if the likes of Crick Info and Crick Buzz aren't going to invest and, and tell the stories of, of associate cricket the, the way I think they can be, then I'm, I'll do it myself. So that's how it all started. And, and yeah, I must say I've sort of – I've taken to the um, – um, to the to the idea and and the movement about expanding the World Cup and growing the game quite passionately, and I've it's amazing that the people that I've met who are similarly passionate from all walks of life from from all over the world. Yeah, I actually, I actually have a quote from you, which you talk about the ten team World Cup, and uh, unsurprisingly, you were very against it. With I think you said with the World T Twenty out for four years reduction of World Cup teams, I would have to say the assertion that. There are more opportunities associated with failure is entirely accurate. It's a bit of pill to swallow. I can imagine the 10 team World Cup must have been a very kick in the steel for someone who really passionately believes in what you're doing. Yes, it's like I've got nowhere to hide now. It sounds like you've gone through uh, everything I've said. But, but, you know, I guess the, the thing when you're speaking with passion, you know, you don't have to have a memory about those things because I'd say the same thing uh, today. You know, there was the the idea given that well the the world t20 as it was called then before converting the t20 mm. world cup was going to be moved to every two years and there was going to be more money in the pot because of the star deal so okay we're going to have a 10 team world cup but the whole reason we're doing that is because we're trying to get as much money as possible under the guise of competitive teams you know every game means something you know we know that's not true but we'll, we'll get to that um but on the flip side, that, that that more money didn't filter down, and then the the World T Twenty that was supposed to be on every two years that stopped after two thousand and sixteen, and we've had to wait until to uh, until twenty twenty. You know, we we know what the world's going through at the moment, but in, you know, mm. in the calendar anyway, there's a, a men's T um, Twenty World Cup coming. Um, so it basically meant that everything that had been promised and the opportunity there for associates um, was not as great as it had been spoken about. You know, there's a whole deeper point there about the changes to the 50-over structure below the World Cup in the qualifiers and the World Cup qualifiers as great as they were, and I'm sure we'll get onto that, um, and also the expanded status around T20Is, which is great. But uh, overall, I, I thought it was a real step back. You know, the 14-team World Cup in Australia, I thought, was, was really great, the way that group play Stronger teams went through short final series in, into a great final um, as opposed to the 10-team the World Cup. But uh, no, my, my thoughts still haven't changed there. There's some, been some good initiatives by the, the ICC development team, especially who are a great bunch of people and are always fighting the good fight for, for associates. And, you know, when people talk about the ICC, it's not one thing. You know, it's a, there's, there's a board, there's an executive, <laughs> yeah. there's, there's various teams. And, and I, I couldn't speak more highly of that 
that development team who are usually always at the, the crack end of the whip and have to make do with what's left um, in terms of funding or uh, cha uh, changes to tournaments and pathway structures and and all those things they do a great job so you know something like t20i status for for everyone is great you know huge fan of that and we've seen the amount of t20i cricket played more than ever more and more countries are playing international cricket and people are talking about it which is which is great but there are so many things that could be done better wow. uh, i would like to come in here uh, so when team was in charge of hong kong cricket he was the ceo he uh, i think the t20 league was his brainchild and it was a, one of the most successful leagues are organized by an associate nation and uh, i think Yes, um, people like Michael Clark, even Sandeep Lamechane, the world first know knew about Sandeep Lamechane from that league. Isn't it right, right, team? Yeah, it's that's correct. There's a sort of a long backstory that has a very good sort of Hong Kong connection. Um, that Scott McKechnie, who is was just retired from from Hong Kong. Uh, playing, he was on a tour. He's originally from the UK. Was on an MCC tour in Nepal and saw this young kid. They came um, up playing against. You know, we know the story about Sandeep now. How he was picked up in a country um, trial that was only by chance because um, Pubudu Dasanayake had gone to. I think it was Basant Regmi's uh, wedding. I think in the in the country and had seen this kid bowling leggies and got him into the programs. And Scott McKechnie um, was an early recruit and coach for the Kowloon Cantons in the Hong Kong T20 Blitz, and he signed Sandeep straight up. So Sandeep came out to to play in the in the Blitz before really anybody. Well, he signed a, to to play in the Blitz before anybody really knew about him. Of course, he took a hat trick in the under under nineteen World Cup, came to the Blitz, met Michael Clark, um, and the rest is history. Yes, oh. absolutely, this is absolutely history. And also, I can remember. You know, uh, law when there was no uh, the Canada Global T Twenty League in Canada, there was no you talk about Euro T Twenty Slam. The Hong Kong League, I think, it ran successfully under uh, during your tenure, and uh, I think it generated quite a few quite a few buzz in India because I have, I was working with a renowned cricket website at that time and we we were covering the stories every day and also there are talks about Yusuf Pathan playing on that league and at that point I think it 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 was it it was in the priority list of the journalist as as uh, I mean from a journalistic point of view, I'm talking about because my editor used to say me that, okay, follow this league, follow whoever is doing, find out any Indian connection, do story every day. <laughs> Great. Uh, yeah, well, I, I, we started that in 2016 and that was it really started small and got big really quickly. We were contacted by Michael Clark's management who said uh, that he'd be keen to explore the opportunity of him playing T20 cricket and also doing some coaching and whatnot with the Hong Kong national team because he was considering coming back into cricket and whether T20 could be his way back in. And so we organised that where he came and played for one of the for one of the teams. Um, we took on a portion of that of his cost um, on behalf of the association because the coaching that we're going to get out of him and, and then the highest bidding team got him, which is also the Kowloon Canton. So I actually was also drafted to play for that year. But the one, the first game I was going to play, it was rained off after uh, nine overs when Ryan Campbell and Michael Clark were not out. Well, none for 90, not that I'm bitter. Um, <laughs> but no, he, he was great up in, up in Hong Kong. Couldn't speak any higher or any more highly of him. He was, he was great with our, our young guys and girls coaching, um, 
nice to everyone around that approached him would go down to the sideline and if you remember that first year or the first couple of years it was like really old school cricket because it's such a small ground that we were using there and there wasn't boundary boards in that first year and right up to the boundary signing signing away his signature back in those days before selfies and um (laughs) uh, it was really good so i was there for 2016 and 2017 um and then the the, it ran for one more year after I, I left um, in 2018 when they, they went upspected again. But to, to talk about that Yusuf Patan example that you mentioned, it's it's amazing. You know, we talk about the the viability of, of global T20 leagues, just how much of a difference then. And I know it's changed a little bit more with these lots of leagues around the world trying to do the same thing. But the moment that Yusuf Patan had been signed, um, we had TV deals approaching us with with india broadcasters wanting to to pay for the the production and take the feed globally but um, because of the interest that that would generate and as soon as his noc got got pulled by the bcci and what what's his state name I, it's it's Baroda. yes yes Baroda. um as soon as that was pulled so with the tv deals so it kind of just shows that sort of the real rocky ground that any fledgling t20 league is on if they're trying to derive value and, and really trying to go too high too early. And I think that's where in retrospect, the UAE T20X went too high and they were looking for to, to be playing players like Owen Morgan and whatnot, $400,000 for an eight week oh. tournament. And they were selling franchises for three and 4 million a year. Um, Euro T20 slam, um, GT20 Canada. I, I think if you try and go too high and overestimate the value of these events, you really do put yourself at risk at overstretching yourself and putting yourself into a position. If you don't get that money back in the first or second year, unless you've got someone just shelling out cash, you know, it was said that the T20 in Canada, I think, uh, came out 13 million US dollars behind in, in year one. And don't get me wrong, if pe- someone's in there with a big bucket of cash and is willing to bankroll it for a long time to build something, then great. But you don't find those people every day. People generally want returns. But if something doesn't go right, a player doesn't turn up, Yuvraj uh, Singh, of course, played in uh, the last uh, Canada event um, last year. But that's why I think to to use the example of of someone who's flipped it around, you know, we started small in Hong Kong and built from the bottom, but there was still there's still the cost there. But if you look at what Daniel Weston is doing with his European Cricket League in Europe yeah, and, I, and making I, it a club competition and starting from the bottom up, you can see the difference in the two. But yeah, wasn't it funny that Yusuf Patan story? You know, to have to have him on the hook was a real coup, and that was the Kowloon Cantons as well. And it's funny, Kowloon, um, the literal translation into Cantonese means nine dragons. And Kowloon <laughs> Cantons was actually owned by 10 people, nine of them fiery ladies who love their cricket. So it was yeah. a really, really cool name and one that they picked. But they were they were great for the tournament. I don't think the, the Blitz, I don't think you guys would be asking me about the Blitz if you if those ladies hadn't been involved. I was such a passionate group of people and they were really pushing the boundaries. You know, that was the name of the the Cricket Hong Kong strategy. <laughs> but in terms of getting or reaching out to the greater community and to get someone like Yusuf Patan and try and negotiate that, even to get as far as they did, but they were they were very very much the ones that were dragging that uh, that tournament along in those in those early years. Um I just got a quick question on Michael Clark actually. Um yeah. how did you how did you get that connection with Michael Clark? Did you know him before? Um uh, why why did he choose Hong Kong out of interest? It, because he could have cho- because he's such a global name that he could have chosen anywhere to 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 do to play his matches, but he chose Hong Kong. 
Um, there was no connection. Literally got an email from his, I think a phone call actually from his agent um, saying that Michael's interested in, in getting back into cricket through T20 and would be interested to talk about the potential of him coming up to play. You know, we'd got the news out there about the Blitz and, you know, you want to own a franchise. I think we set the original prices at 50000 Hong Kong dollars, which is under 10000 US um, mm. to try and drive a bit of local interest, which was great. We, we, we um, discovered all these cricket-loving people that were willing to put their money behind a venture like that, maybe not as sponsors, but the, the chance to come and put, put a team in, they were. And it got a bit of noise up, and um, he got in contact. So I'd like to say it was because I'm a great negotiator or <laughs> I'd, I'd networked my way through, but um, no, he contacted us, so it, it, it all happened there. I think him contacting us in that year one really fast-forwarded a lot of our plans, if we were trying to grow the base and grow the exposure, you know, what Sandy was saying about the the exposure that I got about, about Yusuf Patan in, in year two, you know, that we would never have got there if Michael Clark hadn't have contacted us that first year. And, you know, at the time we didn't know. We knew he was talented and I was at that first training session when when Michael Clark watched Sandy bowl and he was, his eyebrows were, you know, hitting the sky. He was just, he couldn't <laughs> believe how talented he was. Um and I think he made one tongue-in-cheek tongue in cheek joke about uh, Sandy moving to Australia long enough to qualify to play uh, test cricket for Australia. Um, <laughs> that, that, that first training session up in the nets in, in, in Hong Kong Cricket Club. Yeah, wow. interesting. Also, at that point, Michael Clark was the World Cup winning captain. So him coming back into cricket at that through Hong Kong, uh, playing a T20 league in Hong Kong, I think it gave it gave a lot of lot of limelight to Hong, not only just Hong Kong cricket, but to the associate and affiliate world, I guess. And yeah, it did. No, okay. and, and in the interviews, he spoke. He spoke really well. And you know, you come to a place like that. Of course, you're going to speak in that certain way. But he was just on point with everything he did, everything he spoke about, the opportunity about growing the game, and that got great exposure. Exactly as you said. Fantastic. That's fantastic. Um, just on more of a general point, what's the health of associate cricket around the world, do you think, right now? Well, right now, if we, we put on a, a COVID lens, um, I think that associate cricket is probably better set up to deal with extremes like this, maybe more so than some of our um, larger full members. You know, they don't have million-dollar deals and events that need to run to bankroll their operations or, or futures you know associate nations generally sustained on the icc grants and disbursements which come out mm. every every quarter depending on where they are in the scorecard and, and what event they've qualified qualified for and government grants and then maybe a bit of commercial income is there as well now you, there's a few exceptions with the the likes of for example netherlands that are now in the super league and they were looking forward to hosting the likes of pakistan and whatnot at home that would have brought in income from TV rights that they'd probably never seen before. Um, Scotland um, and some of the larger associates that might have some decent sponsorships, but it's, it's really a sort of a hand-to-mouth um, enterprise mm -hmm. there. Thus, the ideas of the, the, the Euro slam between Ireland, Scotland and Netherlands to try and build something of commerciality. Same with Canada and the deal that they'd done. Nepal is a bit of a different example because all of the leagues that we know in Nepal are all privately owned and there's not the money going back to the, the association. But I'm sure we'll mention Nepal later on. So in general health, I think associate cricket is already set up to deal with crises like this. You know, a lot of, there's a lot of volunteer labour around, you know, it's almost like you take a few layers down the way that you look at a, an international cricket sort of set up 
and it's the layers down tapping into the 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 grassroots the volunteers is almost how a lot of the associates operate anyway which makes it all the more amazing when you've got coaches involved like trent johnston and charlie burke and whatnot that have to wear so many hats within an organization you just don't turn up and coach a a, a team of guys that have gone through professional systems and know all their skills now you've got to turn up you kind of like you part you part manager and i'm embellishing a little bit of this but you're part-time manager you're probably working on some basic skill deficiencies that haven't been picked up over the years because they haven't come through the same systems and this also might mean that certain skill sets have got through when others might not have without being overcoached but you're also doing other other bits and pieces dealing with player welfare and whatnot that you, you wouldn't be dealing with in a, in a larger operation and i think that's the staff the way they're set up and and the players themselves are so used to doing things remote they might be overseas at school they might be playing club, club cricket somewhere else and they only get together occasionally to train as 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 a group so they're probably used to, to this more than the professionals at the moment that we see um uh, making making names themselves on social media for training and, and doing whatnot in in isolation so look there's not as much money coming into that side of the game and as long as that money is still flowing from governments you know that's the most important thing as long as the icc is still able to distribute the same funds that they have been they should be okay in being able to weather this storm they're not going to be exposed like in australia has been with some of the decisions they've made but look it's going to be tough for everyone and i, th I think it's going to be down to cricket about how well they engage in the communities in some of these countries and perhaps come out of this stronger than than other stronger sports before covid um, that might have to really change the way i approach things because of the lack of money that's going to be there so i think there's a real opportunity for cricket in in the associate nations after this that's really really good to hear that is yeah even you you know i uh, i i'm sure uh, team knows about it because i know that uh, but uh, i don't know whether you know about know it or not because during this covid period there is a there is a match organized in vanuatu there's a women championship final and yeah. that game was streamed online and almost 4 lakh people watched the stream you know Wow, and also, and also, there is currently a T10 league going on in Taiwan, and there there has been a lot of buzz regarding that league because all the broadcasters, all the organ media organizations, they are hungry for live content, and now these live contents is coming from the associate world. Even I think I don't uh, team correct me if I am wrong. Is Taiwan uh, has the affiliate status of ICC? Uh, well, n nobody has affiliate status anymore. That was uh, done away with about two years ago. So there's only full member and associates. But no, Taiwan has never been a been a member of the ICC. They have been an associate member of the ACC, but they're, they're not at the moment. So the fact that they're able to do this at the moment um, is amazing. And uh, Vanuatu, yep, you uh, nail on the head there. They had 400,000 4, 400, people watch it on the day, and they're very close to announcing a, a streaming and sponsorship deal. Um, that'll take the the next T20 Super League matches over the next few weekends into uh, the subcontinent and beyond as well. So that's huge. You know, I hope for their sake, they're putting down some plans there to make sure that they get their hands on that content and highlights packages and and whatnot. So they've got something to use in the future because, as you can imagine, these associates don't have great marketing and communications people on there cutting up all these great little sizzle videos and whatnot to get out in social media. So I just hope they're, they're using this as much as they can and not just just making a dash for the cash as, as it were at the moment. Because at, uh, as soon as cricket and other sports start up again, I think this, the demand's going to dissipate. And who knows, you know, who knows whether that interest remains and we've got a whole new 
industry on our hands of sort of next tier cricket being watched. You know, time will tell in that, but I just hope that the right decisions are being made that are actually going to benefit the uh, the cricketing nations beyond these next few weeks and some money. Um, and going back about, to yeah, sorry, about social media, your good friend Pavel is a great, great example how he is promoting <laughs> Romania. Romania. <laughs> yes, um, and isn't it funny how these things happen sometimes that uh, Pavel. You know, I remember that tweet that that Fox Sports put out saying the European Cricket League, everybody, with a couple of uh, sarcastic emojis, and the reaction to that, people ripping into Fox Sports saying, "How dare you make fun of this guy who loves the game and wants to be part mm-hmm. of it?" And and I don't want to get too deep into the expats chat, but you know, the, here we are, a natural-born Romanian of of um, white Europe of European descent. Um, Wanting to play cricket, seeing a got seeing guys playing on another field and going to ask about it, and then becoming the president of his club and playing international cricket, isn't this great? How dare you have it? You have a go at him. You know this is exactly. how we're going to grow. That's not how we're going to grow the game. And to see how that flipped, you know, I really did have a cringe when I saw him bowl. I thought, oh no, this could go. This could go either way. And even when I saw Fox Sports tweet, but to see the reaction of of the internet and look, I. Don't want it to turn too much into a trope and just be a trophy of people retweeting. And, and, and but if people actually stood up and what started watching this and started taking more notice of the countries, and you know, of course, that means everybody should be reading emerging cricket, but um, you know, took take more notice of the stories beyond the, the established world that we see, and and to see that, that there are so many stories just like that waiting to be told, and there's so many talented cricketers that are playing for, for more. I wouldn't say more important, but for deeper reasons than, than many of those we see just playing for money or at least allowing to be dictated by money. They're these guys balancing other lives, other jobs to play for their country. And there's some amazing stories, you know, that the Dutch teams that have, have beat England in, in, in world T20s and, and other teams of, of amateurs coming through and pushing these big teams that, you know, that, that is the occasional opportunity that they have. Imagine there was more opportunity and even more support where, where the world of cricket could go. You know, everyone talks about, you know, well, cricket's in a British game connected to colonialism. It's never going to grow. But where, where was football invented? Where did soccer start? You know, okay. what, um, and, you know, there's another podcast and that all together about how soccer was able to change itself from a, a, a colonial game to a game of the people. And look, it's a long way behind. And the, the cricket in, in the US is another example of, the, of how baseball got passed. But there's still amazing opportunities out there. I'm talking about commercial opportunities. I'm talking about the opportunities that, that cricket can present because of the skills it imparts, because of the cerebral nature of the sport. It's non-contact. You know, you don't have to be big and strong. Kids aren't going to be breaking their necks playing it. There's amazing opportunity for it to, to bring people together, maybe more so than any other sport, um, which I don't think the sport does a very good job at celebrating itself and and standing up and being proud of its differences. You know, we're too busy trying to make cricket more like baseball or more bite-sized. You know, why not embrace the things that make cricket for what it is? You learn the stories about why people come to love cricket from other countries that, that wouldn't normally know it. And it's because of all the little intricacies that make cricket cricket. They're not liking cricket because it reminds them of baseball. They're not they're not liking cricket because it's played in the same amount of time as, as, a, as a football match. You know, and I'm not saying the game shouldn't adapt, but... You know, cricket should never be bashful of of, of how it's got here and, and the actual inherent skills in itself. Well, it's not so much the inherent said, skills, the inherent qualities, I should say. I think you're so right what you just said there. And actually, the Pavel story actually is a really good example of that, where 
where where a negative has really been turned into a positive. And he's used his profile actually to spread the game of cricket across the world to places where where cricket isn't as seen as a massive sport. And he's using that profile because now he has that profile to actually become that person who can champion these causes and like you're doing and loads of other great people around the world who are like pushing this game. And I know that you've been pushing for this game to go to the Olympics. I know that's part of your strategy that you believe that could expand the game, right? Is that correct? Absolutely. Um, great start with getting women's cricket into the, the Commonwealth Games, but that's only really a, a little drop in the ocean. You know, you look mm. at these countries that we want to get into, um, Brazil, Russia, America, China especially. China's always a big one. But these are countries that invest in Olympic sports um, and they will invest in, in medals, but they also invest in any sport that is there. Well, sorry, I won't say they all invest in any sport in the Olympics, but most of them will have money set aside within government branches and agencies that are reserved for Olympic sports. And every dollar that comes to a sport via its Olympic agency is another dollar that the that doesn't have to have come from the ICC. And it's another dollar that is on top of, of, of what they get elsewhere. So it's only going to be great for the game. You know, the example has been of Brazil and the, the level of funding that they would get overnight if cricket became a, a, a an Olympic sport. You know, we, we, at the moment they're on, I think, about 50,000 US dollars from um, from the ICC and they get a lot of local sponsorship and you, hopefully you saw the news recently that they they actually have full-time professional contracts with their women's team to be, I think it's the maybe the first country beside Thailand, although I don't know if Thailand has their entire squad on contracts to actually make their women professional before their men, but we'd be talking hundreds of thousands of dollars that would cut that would flow into the game as soon as it's made an Olympic sport. But it's also the the inclusion in Olympic programs and access to the same sports scientists and um, and athlete management systems that are given to other Olympic sports. It would just be huge for the game. So whether or not the Olympics would have large um, tournaments themselves, whether it was eight teams or ten teams, or whether it was T10 or T20. Honestly, and similar to my point before about what the types of cricket, it doesn't matter what format of cricket is in the Olympics. It's the effect that it has beyond the games and the, and the funding and the, and the local engagement that it should really give the game the shot in the arm in a lot of these countries where it doesn't really get the love that it should. China is a great example. China invests in Olympic sports. As soon as the Rugby Sevens was made an Olympic sport, they partnered with another with a commercial entity up there and, and there you have, you know, fifty to hundred million dollars ready to be invested in rugby sevens over ten years. Yeah. Yeah, and there was a bit of a false start there with rugby and, and Hong Kong rugby were working with China in that. But, you know, you get the principle of this and why mm. it's so important. So people just talk about, well, you know, the calendar's already full or oh, the West Indies would split up. Um, you know, we've already got World Cups. It's like th these are just little little obstacles that are blocking, you know, th th that's, there's a bigger picture here. You know, think of actually the the – how cool it would be to see West Indian players playing for their for their countries and that the chance for them to do that. And, and you might only have one qualifier from from America, which, from the America region, which means you, you might have a Barbados or Jamaica, who, who knows. But then also the playoff qualification structure as well, you, you'd see in some of these regions, you'd see full members playing against associates a lot more. And, and this is why if we had an Olympic 
I had Olympic cricket, you could then go back to having a T20 World Cup every four years and sort of slot them in every two years and have those those pathways sort of running in sort of two-year slots, um, clicking in and out of Olympic cricket into World Cup cricket, which I think could be great for growing the game and expanding the, the pathways to get more like what basketball does, have your reserved windows when all the players are available, let them play their qualifiers, get the teams qualified for the, the World Cup and bang, let them go back to their clubs. <laughs> you know, I say clubs deliberately, the club versus country or their countries and let, and let bilateral cricket continue or let the ODI Super League continue. There's a whole opportunity here with the Olympic cricket that goes beyond to people who just look at what Indian TV rights is worth at the moment to the global game. It's, it's so much bigger than that. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I... I met Mike Gatting uh, in 2018 and I asked regard, uh, this, this question, he was the president of the MCC at that time. And he told me in an interview that by 2028, they are pushing uh, Los Angeles uh, for the pushing for the Los Angeles Olympic uh, as and they're pushing uh, cricket to be a part of that Olympic. Do you think it is realistic at this at this moment, Tim? Is it realistic? Yes. Um, now that um, the BCCI has uh, allowed themselves to be wider compliant, that was a, a big hurdle. The big issue is between cricket in India and the Olympic Committee in India. Um, and there needs to be some agreement there as to who is going to be running the program. Um, but in the past, Australia and England had both been against the idea um but they're both now supporters of the idea and i'm, and I'm not saying that that india are a blocker at the moment because they haven't come out to, to be against it you know there's a lot going on at the moment around um tournament structures and i know we've seen recently the proposed structures until 2031 with a champions trophy and a champions cup 2020 and all and all these things which i don't i wasn't happy about it at all but that's that's another another tweet that you can you, you can pull out um but um I, yeah I, I haven't heard them publicly say no but the a little worrying to me is that we haven't heard anything about them saying yes or the icc coming out again because they're gonna have to be applying for this status the 2028 you know it's not a permanent status it'll only be for those games i i, I don't know it's not a not a um um a development sport only but it's just a sport that isn't on the permanent roster so they need to be applying for that pretty soon so the sooner we can get that lined up to get that calendar ready for 2028 i think that that'd be a great target it's funny when we first started talking about this years ago how far away 2024 and 2028 seem but it's now that the clock has ticked over to 2020 it's it feels just that that uh, much closer <laughs> i can imagine interestingly that MCC committee, which pushed uh, cricket's inclusion in Olympics, Saurabh Ganguly was a part of it. And now when Saurabh Ganguly became the president of the BCCI, one journalist asked him this question that now your committee, you are a part of the committee when uh, which decided that cricket should be in the Olympics. Now you are the president of the most powerful cricket board in the world. And now what is your take on this? But at that time, obviously, he just, uh, you know, he just joined the office. So he avoided that question diplomatically. But uh, if you ask me, I don't think he disagrees with the idea. But the problem with him that it is not he's and not dependent on entirely his base because Indian cricket you all know team you know team and both PR that it depends mm -hmm. on it 
dictates by money so the broadcaster the sponsors they need to be on the same page to go ahead with this idea that's what i feel yes and some of the noises that have come from the president's chair since sarav ganguly has taken that up about getting india's I'm, I'm maybe paraphrasing him, but saying getting his getting their fair share, um, i.e., uh, more funding from the global pot, is quite worrying. And if that's the perspective, and look, I know there will be pressures behind him from the state boards wanting more money for cricket to filter down. So I'm I'm not ignoring that whatsoever. But if India is looking to take an even bigger cut of the global rights, you know, at the moment they take, will they receive? 400 million of the two 2.1 billion over the eight years that from the global rights and you know you can do the sums how much that leaves for everybody else um let alone the associates yeah. that are 165 i think there are a million sorry over that that eight years between 93 associates that you know the bcci top line revenue in 2018-19 was two point uh, just over two billion us dollars alone then so you know that tells me that look, I'm not telling them to go go without these things, but there's a chance for the to let the, the international game invest in its growth, and then as that pie gets bigger, the same argument that um, Enstrin Avassan give gave to the the room when asking all of the associates to sign on to the big three reform, saying that we're going to make the pie a lot bigger, and yes, we're taking a bigger cut of it, but the pie is going to be a lot bigger and your cuts, albeit smaller percentage-wise, are going to be a lot bigger. I, I think that it might be a matter of them talking to themselves about that. And the more you invest into Olympic cricket and the more you, you invest in growing the game, then the, the larger pie of the global game is going to be larger and uh, and therefore everyone's going to be better off. But it might be a little bit idealistic. I know I can I can get like that a bit sometimes a bit, you know, <laughs> of, of thinking of what could be. But I, I really think the game needs to start taking a, a global view of how it grows together because if we see the likes of Zimbabwe, Sri Lanka, uh, not so much Bangladesh, they've got all right with TV rights, but these countries really struggling to make money from bilateral series, having to cancel series. We can see Ireland that have had to go through that all, already as well. Afghanistan playing a lot of uh, limited overs cricket only. You know, it, it tells me that the the model of, of, of bilateral cricket is broken. You know, if these smaller four members who are supposed to be you know, in the top 10 countries or top 12 out of over 100 in, in the world, and they can't make the game financially viable and a and a profession for their top players, then that, that, that tells me something is broken in global cricket. Mm. And that's for global cricket collectively to try and fix that. And a lot of people may say, well, why should it be up to the biggest market to pay for everybody else? This isn't socialism. It's a capitalist market. So, well, we're talking about a global game here and a global community. So I just hope that the, the people there making those calls for more money can take a a step back and, and and broader view of what the the world of cricket needs and it's a real it's an empowered global body to to oversee international cricket it's a less cluttered calendar with larger events that still allows allows the likes of the IPL and and each country to run their own domestic series to try and make that money but still have a global game and an international game that is the pinnacle of sport and actually have world cups that have, that look like the world that don't have only 10 teams but yeah, look that that that, that one about Ganguly. I'm 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 not sure if the jury's still out because he's made some uh, made some pretty bland statement or plain statements about wanting to get more money and and not going to be happy if there's less money coming in from the ICC if if they take a cut. And I just hope that for the good of the game's future that um, it doesn't turn into a land grab. Absolutely, absolutely. I I want to go back to um, a, a time that. 
was 2018, and I know you would you left your job as uh, the Hong Kong CEO then, but they played in the Asia Cup. They did. How was that? That must have been a great feeling, especially you know. I guess you remember the match. They nearly beat India in the <laughs> in the UAE. That must have been quite like a feeling of even though they did not win that match. That must have been like this is like all that progression is worth it. Just seeing them here and, and competitive. Yes, and it was also the way that they they got there as well. Um, they got through the qualifying tournament in Malaysia with a real wet sail. They were under <laughs> pressure in the final against the UAE. It was a wet day. They'd gone for a lot of runs. The The game was reduced with a wet game. It was broadcast. Um, Star TV took it as the final. That was the only game that they broadcast. It was a little bit disappointing. They flew in commentators that didn't know many of the players, if any, and it was a little bit... You know, as lacking a bit of soul, but I was in, although I was still living in Hong Kong at the time, I was in Australia. I was down here visiting my girlfriend, now partner, and, you know, um, on, you know, in, along the throes of, of falling in love, but I was actually staying there watching <laughs> it on the laptop on the, on the stream. And I, I, you know, I don't want to give everyone a terrible mental picture, but I was there in my shirt and in my underwear, you know, like I, I was supposed to be doing something else. I was supposed to have another phone call and watching Scott McKechnie come in and playing these little, these little um, flick sweeps. One went for six off, off, um, off Naveed and getting there at the end was amazing. And there I was very unattractively in my underwear, my my arms to the sky, very exciting. And to see that the, the form that they took into the Asia Cup, they didn't play well against... Pakistan, a little bit gun shy, playing in the in the in the heat, but yeah, that game against India when they won the to- won the toss and bowled, and to see um, a certain Indian player now turn sort of commentary celebrity saying, well, they must just be trying to make the game longer by having you know India score three fifty or four hundred plus and 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 having um, Akash Edie's uh, words, and it was just a. a, a up until the thirty eighth over, they were the better team. They they bowled. Really well in the they last were 150 20 for North, <laughs> yeah, like exactly. Yeah, and to see young uh Anchorman, you know, it's you got to remember that he's still so young that he was I'm not sure if he was 21 yet then, but as Skipper and Nazakat, and you know, there's Hong Kong cricket there as well. There's a kid of Indian descent born in Hong Kong to to Indian parents who uh, made their way to Hong Kong, and there's a, a kid that moved to Hong Kong when he was two. Um, went through the age systems, played under nine World, World Cup um, with Mark Chapman against the likes of Ben Stokes and Joe Root in, in the year 2010 in, in New Zealand. Pakistani origin, Indian origin, Hong Kong uh, shirt, playing together and, and really putting a fear of God into the to the Indian team and the Indian fans. That was a very quiet stadium, if you remember watching it. But yeah, yeah. I, I very much do remember that. I had to go between both clubs in, in Hong Kong to, to watch that. I was back in Hong Kong then because I was watching at Hong Kong Cricket Club the first innings. They shut up um, everything because it was it was late. You know, it was a day-night game mm. in, in the Emirates. And so I got a, a taxi across Victoria Harbour over to Kowloon Cricket Club where, you know, we're all mates, but the uh, the the, uh, the captain of cricket had organised for them to basically to have a lock-in and we were there, we're watching it all the way to the end and I'm I'm not a good watcher, you know, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm hi- highly, highly invested. You know, I remember um, Jared Kimber and Tim Wigmore were with us in the box in the 2016 um, World Cup, um, the T20 World Cup in, in Nagpur in one of Hong Kong's games. And and they were both laughing at me. My hands were red raw from clapping uh, in the box. So nobody could hear me except the people in the box. But I was that, <laughs> that, uh, I was that excitable. But, yeah, wasn't that a, a great a, – a great 
um, advertisement for the emerging game because in that box in I'm trying to remember they they were in Dubai Stadium weren't they you had guys from UAE covering the game that their team had been beaten in the final of the qualifier to go through and had the likes of Paul Radley from the national and others from papers there cheering on Hong Kong and, you know, it'd be very easy. These guys are fighting for, for food scraps out there, trying to trying to get their, their games to a higher level and more money to come into the game, sometimes playing for careers. And just to see the, the, the camaraderie between Associate Nations is amazing, and although I wasn't there, I heard there was there was a little bit too much cheering coming from the box from uh, from journalists um, and especially those from the Associate <laughs> Nations. But no, I think everybody was going for Hong. Well, sorry, I say everybody, Indian fans not, but they really did make a lot of fans that night. The the, the energy and the, and the hits on various Facebooks posts and and whatnot after that was huge, and it's just too bad that Hong Kong hasn't been able to take advantage of that since with the Sixers. And the Blitz both being kiboshed and then everything that's happened with the protests and the coronavirus. But that was definitely a great performance and an amazing night. And they almost yeah. got there, didn't they? Yeah. I, was, I, I think after well. 40 overs, I think we all thought that Hong Kong were going to do it. But you just had that back in that mind feeling of it, it might just not happen. But, yeah. you know, that heartbreak, you know, the sporting heartbreak. <laughs> oh, oh, I know the feeling. Don't worry. <laughs> I was there in the press box and I have no shame admitting that. that <laughs> obviously, I was not openly supporting Hong Kong, but in, I I wanted Hong Kong to win that game because I wore my associate shirt. <laughs> see, you see, I'm, I'm, I'm making converts everywhere, you know. It's like <laughs> one, one journalist at a time, you know, and, and they grow. It's like uh, lemmings, you know, they multiply. You know, you'll tell two friends and then they'll tell two friends. It's like, it's like signing people up to Amway. <laughs> or whatever they do these days, whatever whatever pyramid selling is out there these days. A lot of Indian journalists in their first part of their article, they had already written that Hong Kong had beaten India and all that. Because Don't tell me that. You just bring in the pain back, okay? I'm just like, <laughs> look, I've watched too many games of Hong Kong kind of losing from that situation. So I won't say I was prepared for them to lose, but I knew that they had a... Uh, uh, an, an underbelly in that middle order with with no Jamie Atkinson, no um, uh, sorry, no Jamie Atkinson, no Mark Chapman who'd been gone for a year or so, you know, Irfan Ahmed and Nadeem Ahmed and and Hasib all banned for fixing. Unfortunately, you know, that's a, a a sorry tale in itself. But you know, the players that could have been available for that side, and and again, it would have been completely different. I know because they would have been in different orders and whatnot. But um, yeah, well, with the team that we had, and I say I still said we didn't. I dearie me, you can't cut that cut that out either. Like and and watching Hong Kong in the T Twenty World Cup qualifier as well with such a depleted team after other players leaving as well after a player dispute to see that through that that's what keeps me going supporting hong kong that's why my reddit uh flair is still a hong kong flag of a well hong kong logo <laughs> not only because i was such a big part of designing that logo as well there's still a got that connection to it but, but no sandy good to good to hear that you were you were quietly uh cheering on the good guys that night <laughs> I, I, I think you won a lot of fans in that day i think I think the Hong Kong cricket, I think uh, people have been following it slightly in and out, I suppose. And I think, you know, that was their big moment. Yeah. Well, the disappointing thing is there should have been a World Cup and a World Cup qualifier that was uh, um, in 2018 anyway that had been better 
uh, broadcast before that too. But look, I don't want to take away from the positivity. But there you go. That's an ACC tournament. That one, one, one associate in the in the main draw, and it just shows how when you've got a strong board. And I know that they've got five full members to uh, to use to get the value around that event. But it just shows what can be done when the the regions leverage their uh, their strong teams as well. And I was ta- and I was looking at um, looking at different different associate nations, and one which 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 is really agonising for me to watch is um, Scotland because I think their team is one of the strongest I think I've I've seen over the last decade. I think this this is this is their best side I think I've watched Scotland be, and they agonisingly missed out on this World Cup by 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 a rain delay. I think of all things that Scotland could have been. Um, in the World Cup qualifiers against Afghanistan, wasn't it? Um, yep. Yeah, Afghanistan got through by the skin of their teeth. They were the yeah, first and, and Scotland Australia to carry no points into the Super Sixes to to get through. Yeah, amazing. But sorry, I'll let you finish your question. But uh, I'm I'm already framing my answer about Scotland's uh, Scotland's problems at that one. Yeah. Yeah. So what 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 is what do you see in the because you said Scotland's one of the bigger associate nations. Do you see them? Um, do you see the progression of them continuing now? Because if they made that World Cup, that would have been a huge for them because it would have done finances, getting exposure, playing against the best players in the world. Um, ten games guaranteed or nine games guaranteed at least. That would be incredible for, and and they would probably would have got lots of preparation matches, you know, against some of these big sides. Um, it, it really could have been over uh, a size of. A few more boundaries, and they would have qualified. To, to... <laughs> don't, don't say boundaries. <laughs> you, you'll you'll send uh, hard palpitations through every Kiwi again. But, yeah. <laughs> but um, and to to where they are now, because they even beat England a couple of years ago, didn't they? Um, in in Edinburgh. Yeah, no, that's only 2018, and how amazing was that in terms of the performance? But yeah, I sort of mentioned the the World Cup qualifier a couple of times. You know, that was supposed to be a, a heightened marketed tournament when the 10 team world cup was announced and they're saying well yep we've made this smaller but we're going to raise the the standard of, of the world cup qualifier and, and since 2004 sorry 13 and 14 when the um when the icc really raised the t20 world cup qualifier uh it was 13 in in the emirates and it was the the 2015 qualifiers for for india in 16 that actually made the the icc millions of dollars of profit by selling the the rights through sky and i don't remember i don't i don't know if you remember those games but that was when hong mm. kong beat afghanistan on the last ball to qualify and uh, yeah, Ireland yeah. got through afghanistan got through eventually by beating uh, png and that was when oman came well surprised everyone by beating namibia in their in their qualifier to make their first world cup as well and it was a real test case and proof of concept that people watch associate cricket when it's well broadcast well commentated and well covered in this context people get mm. into it but so the cricket world cup qualifier in zimbabwe in 2018 was supposed to be similar but they actually cut the number of games that were going to be broadcast that resulted in the first full member odi to not be streamed or broadcast in in over a decade or i think it was in the in the 2000s actually when that was when afghanistan I'm trying to get this right in my head, tied with Zimbabwe and and the best videos and the most watched videos came from the then captain, uh, Graham Creamer's wife, Myrna Creamer, who took 
uh, videos on her mobile phone and put them up on on uh, on Twitter before the IC said cut their little single camera highlights. You know that's yeah you know, that's not how you elevate the the status of an event. You know that mm. the money from the rights is there, but that the money got cut away from the ICC events and and development to be able to do it. So it's really disappointing. And what that also meant that no DRS was there because every game oh, wasn't yes. telecast, and and I was actually flying. To Australia on on that night, I watched Scotland against the West Indies, and Scotland they get the West Indies was to 198 or whatever it was from 50 overs, and I and that was when I literally had to shut the computer to to fly down to Sydney. And I remember I came through Sydney, I picked up a SIM card, I sat down the train station waiting, I okay. opened up my phone, I turned it on, and then I just saw it, and the blood just rushed from my face. Oh, oh my! Look look at what's happened. And then I started looking at Twitter and all the the replays of that LBW and Richie Barrington was given. Out LBW, yeah, and and you know you speak to to Kyle Kurtzer and some of those guys, and Kyle's a great guy that I've known from his trips to Hong Kong, and he's a he's an ambassador of, of emerging cricket and does some great stuff for us. But speaking to him, he was like, well, you know, we we should have been ahead of that at that point of the game anyway. In the end, that wicket wasn't the thing that lost it for us. It was how we got behind the rate in the overs before that. So it was very. Matter of fact, and he didn't put too much blame on on the whole system. But you know, he didn't have to. He, you know, and he said the biggest thing that just showed him how far they'd come was to hear the cheering of the West Indies when they got the confirmation that they'd won that game and got through and whatnot. Because you know, they knew that they'd won a game that you know a game that they were in and they probably should have lost. It wasn't just a a fait accompli against an associate. But to your point about Scotland, I think they struggle um, similar to Ireland in in getting their sport on the front pages and getting it mainstream. You know, that's something you hear a lot from both organisations. And although Ireland have got to full membership now, I think both struggle to get that, like I said, that airtime like the other sports. And Ireland have their Gaelic games that are, Gaelic sports that are so much more, um, well, again, localised, but get a lot more airtime. And then Scotland has rugby and, and football, and uh, they don't really have a summer. So it makes it very hard. For, but um, I think they've done a lot of hard work in the community, growing the game, looking at commercial options. Again, the Euro T20 slam from a from a member point of view, from an associate, was great in terms of the money that was coming in and guaranteed spots for their players. Um, I just think they are unfortunately pushed too hard in terms of the prices that they were looking for the for the franchises and also were paying too too much and for too many full member overseas when they could have had more associate slots, more affordable players and more opportunity for associates while not foregoing the value that having, you know, having three or four full members rather than seven per side, you know, what's the difference in value really to, to broadcasters when you could have some of the best, you know, the the Norman Vanoas or Asad Vala from from PNG playing or or likewise or other others from other associates that you wouldn't have known otherwise. So, yeah, I think Scotland have their challenges, but I think you're right about the squad that they've got. Great depth all the way through, quick bowlers coming through, good spinners, some really good spinners actually. I guess it's just for Kyle as well. He's getting a bit like myself towards the back end of his 30s. And he's a professional cricketer and I'm not, but I know what it's like to get to that age. Um, and how long can he keep going? And, he, you know, the, the time that he decides to hang up 
um, that that bat of his. You know, I, I hope that he receives the the accolades that he deserves. You know, he's already received his MBE recently for services to cricket, but I'm um, you know I hope that, that that the awards keep coming. And I'm not I'm not writing his epitaph of his um <laughs> of his cricket career by any stretch, but uh, he's really done done quite so much uh, amazingly for uh, for Scottish cricket. Like William Porterfield, actually, for, for Ireland, who's done a lot for Irish cricket and their growth, which is coming to his end as well in his early 30, late 30s now as well. Yes, and I like how, how they did that with him stepping back as captain uh, or from captain and, and remaining on to be selected as a, as a batter. Um, I think there's invaluable knowledge that can be imparted from a, an outgoing skipper and the continuity there in a team rather than a cut and run and... Um, you know, that can make such a difference um, on a team to have that um, support for the for the, the younger captain coming in. And now that uh, Andy Balburnie is captain in all three formats as well after taking over from Gary Wilson after the T20 World Cup qualifiers as well, they've definitely got a talented guy there in Balburnie. I just hope that he, he can bring through a couple through a couple of other young cricketers with him because they've got the challenge now of, of losing the likes of Stuart Pointer and others who have chosen county cricket contracts and therefore not being available for Ireland um, because of Ireland being a full member now. So, Yeah, that's how- one of the biggest problems for Ireland now, yeah. that they, you've got your neighbour, neighbouring country, which has a fully, um, uh, who can offer a lot more in the county system than, than, than an uncertain future in the Irish system, which, which has been their problem for the last 20, 10, 15 years. But the, being associate cricket, they've had a bit of a, the... the the um the cover of getting some of these players back but now well, yeah, exactly they, they weren't counted as overseas but you know look at the the paul sterling example born in northern ireland growing up in northern ireland has a he's a, a citizen of the uk has a british passport um but now when he goes to sign for middlesex or for northamptonshire to play in the um in the 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 blasters that would have been this year or the the hundred he's there as an overseas player it's quite amazing that that can be allowed to happen from a, a legal point of view but who knows out of the back of um, Brexit finishing but you know that agreement that sat, that Colpac that re, um, ruling was based on the the um, European Union European Union agreement with the um, African mm-hmm. Caribbean and Pacific nations and and whether that that treaty was to be the Contunu uh, agreement wasn't it in Benin signed you know and whether that was going to be renewed or what sort of agreement from a working point of view but but who knew, knows what the uh, the new county world will look like post Brexit and uh, post Colpac exactly exactly and you know so just on the point of Ireland Ireland and Afghanistan obviously got test status recently. So they moved out of that associated um, branch. Um, what was your feeling about that? Did you did you think oh, Euphoria? This is brilliant. Out of all that hard work of 20, 30 years of expansion, finally this has happened. Or did you think, oh, this could be the this is great, but this is the last. This could be the last part of this big expansion. That's because we were much more expansive in our in our growth in cricket in the nineties and two thousands, really. And this is probably the end result of that. Well, how did I feel? I was very happy for my friends at Cricket Ireland. You know, Warren Dutram, who was a great peer and mentor for me in the, in the couple of years I was in Hong Kong. That he, um, for me, kind of learning the the I was going to say the ways of the force. You can tell I've been watching too much Star Wars lately. The um, <laughs> you know, the ropes in terms of international cricket administration from an an a, um, a Associate point of view, I, I, I believe I was described um, by a certain uh, British 
um, journalist um, as the <laughs> as the next Warren Dutram. So I, I wear that as um, as a bit of a, a badge of honour, and I, I was, I'm still disappointed that I haven't been able to get back into cricket administration to uh, to um, to prove him true. But um, uh, how did I feel? I was really happy for both of them. It was probably ten years too late for Ireland, and it may have been a few years too soon in terms of long. Um, long format cricket experience, the way that test cricket is, is placed at the moment with world test championships. Um, but it was great, uh, you know, more at the, at the top table, more votes, um, more votes from, a, from developing cricket nations. But the question was, well, where's the money going to come from for these guys to be paid um, on a yearly basis, like four members. And that, that answer was never really given. They said that money had come from um, parts of the budget that didn't come from associates or didn't come from anywhere else, but it would look like afterwards that uh, that money was adjusted and came out of the, came out of other budgets. But it's also the opportunity, you know, Ireland and, 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 and Bangladesh, that was 2000, um, <laughs> Ireland and, and Afghanistan, you know, they weren't included in the world test championship. So, you know, how, how is that a benefit for them? They were just left to play bilateral test series, which, as we know, don't make money unless you're playing against either England, um, India, or maybe Australia for a smaller nation. Test cricket does does not make money. You know, that's, un, that's an unfortunate part of, of the way of the world now. And you had a World Cup with, with 10 teams, 10 teams, 12 full members, you know, and that was the first time ever that full members were not going to make a World Cup because in the past... Full members never had to qualify. This is the first time ever. So really happy that they got to the top table. But at the same time, they took away the pathway to test cricket through the Intercontinental Cup because there's no more first-class cricket being played internationally by, by associate nations. That was taken away. And the ODI series, the Cricket World Cup League 2, was was devised which took over the old world cricket league structure so there's more odi cricket so what does that say about the attitude towards red ball cricket we've just done a great podcast interview with the all-rounder from papua new guinea norman vanua and he says he would rather be playing more red ball cricket and can see the skills the, the guys developed when they're playing that and how important it is to to cricketers development and this is from a country who is renowned for not playing anything more than 20 over cricket at home and only just now playing 50 over stuff and them talking about how important red ball cricket would be so don't get me wrong i don't think cricket needs um first class cricket to survive but there should be the opportunity for players to be playing that to develop those skills as we get bigger and stronger into these larger larger events and bigger bigger world cups as we as we're seeing but you know whether we're going to see any more full members after that who knows i think ireland really benefited that there was an emerging asian giant coming through at the same time um, having Afghanistan with their meteoric rise. But who knows? And if you're going to ask me who I think are going to be the next four, four members, well, if Nepal can get their administration intact, you know, they've got 30 million people, and when there's cricket on, they are mad about it. So lining up Nepal, you know, PNG have over 200,000 people in the game. If USA ever lined up, their ducks in a row and got everybody actually within the same cricketing community. They could do almost anything they want. There's so many people playing cricket. I sound like Donald Trump there. There's so many, so many playing the best cricketers ever. Um, that's not my impression. That's just the, 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 the turn of freight. Um, but yeah, who, who knows who's coming, who's coming next, but the question will be, what will they have to do to get there? Because it's not going to be through competing in red ball cricket. It's going to be white ball performance. And are we going to see four members come in for the first time on the back of white ball performances only, and not taking into account having a first class system with red ball cricket? 
I agree with you. The Nepalese cricket is something I think I'm quite excited about because it's right next to India. So that South Asian vibe of cricket is in there. And then having the Labushing um, growth in him, uh, like growing as a Lamashane. player. As a, yeah. You said Labushane. Been... You, 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 you got Labushane on the mind. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Sorry. <laughs> uh, so, no, I'm saying that La- Nepalese cricket is. Um, yeah looks like the place where you can see that growth really expanding. And, and you're exactly right about the USA as well, because you've got so many expats, so many expats. And then you've got the Caribbean lot who come over uh, to play in, in the US. And then West Indies play a few matches in Florida now, don't they? So that could help in that expansion there. So you can see, actually, your point about making an Olympic sport actually then has a lot of context to it, because you can see that there are people there ready to to take up the game if it's actually imported, exported, um, made properly as a brand for these smaller nations. Oh, absolutely. And it's all going to be at optics or how it's branded. It's all going to be about the support behind it, how we engage in social media and the way that, that I say kids, it could be anybody, but we'll say kids to cricket, how they engage uh, online and, and get them into it. You know, it's about partnerships with with Fortnite, with TikTok, you know, it's it's get get innovative because all the other sports are already ahead of us. And and like we said at the top of the show, it's not a matter of cricket being bashful. Embrace what makes cricket cricket, but also talk to people in ways that you know they're going to listen to. Exactly. I think that is so true what you just said. And I think that's the thing which makes us so excited about, about you know, our love of this game. Yeah, Pial, I would like to hear, I would like to come in and ask sure. Tim. About, I think, Tim, the point you are highlighting, it is most of all about, uh, you know, growing local heroes in these countries rather than following the, you know, the Steve Smiths or the Virat Kohli's. Maybe you can talk about the European League, which your which is your uh, friend is, you know, the idea of your friend, where they, he is now concentrating on growing local heroes, which kids can follow. Yep, no, absolutely, and I think I, I did mention that before, and I, I, it's even better to expand on it. Yeah, Daniel Weston, it's a, it's a famous story now that an Aussie entrepreneur and, and trader uh, moved to, to Germany, um, well, backpacked to Germany, and trading did well, started playing a little bit of cricket, uh, met his now wife on Tinder, um, who actually comes from a very uh, large family herself, but started playing cricket, and then Germany saw an influx of migrants from various countries, especially from Afghanistan and almost a ready-made cricketing community. And they went from having, you know, 15 clubs in the country to now having 1,500 with new clubs coming on every week, not 1,500, but we're, we're talking the hundreds now. And he created German Cricket TV online, went and yes. bought himself, I think it was 15 GoPros and started uh, broadcasting and cutting up all the, all the clips, had GoPros on on the stumps, on the umpires, and on, I think it was on the wicketkeeper's head as well and from the side. And as that grew and took that as a proof of concept, had a chance meeting with some of the guys who started the Champions League, uh, European Champions League in football at a at a dinner whilst they were there covering cricket on ice in Switzerland. Oh, wow. and, and uh, he got uh, guys from FIBA, i.e. the International Basketball Association, and also those guys from the from the Champions League together to be on his board, and he created the European Cricket League, and that is, quote-unquote, the Champions League of Cricket in Europe, and it's 
T10. It played in Spain, and it takes the champion of each. I think it's I've gone up to. Geez, I should know this is up to 14 teams. Or well, supposed to be 14 teams or 16 teams. I should know this this year, and so it's a club team champion, and they come to this this event. So there are no um, blow-in overseas players uh, for these teams. That it's not franchises that haven't had any history. These are club teams. He's trying to develop, as you said, local heroes, and and to to build that 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 wants to being part of that. I want to be the champion. I want to be playing in the in the European Cricket League, and. Even by by the just before coronavirus hit, he started the European Cricket Series and plugging into Dream Eleven, you know, a, a great partner at the moment for for a company who's looking to expand, was going around Europe as well, playing the European Cricket Series, playing those T10 comps in those countries and getting that broadcast as well. So what he's trying to do is, as we we've talked about, is, is grow those local heroes, but in local clubs. Um, that are, are no sort of pop-up teams. Try to grow those club competitions there, so people can see. Oh, gee, oh, there's there's Drew Cricket Club, the champions of France. We're going to beat them next year. We're going to keep growing. We're going to go into local community and grow because we want to bring through some local stars, and we're going to have our own Pavel Florin, and we're going to actually be there on, on the big stage. And he did such a good job. We talk about these stories like Canada. Um, the global T20, the slam, the problems with the blitz, you know, every, every promise he made, he delivered. Everything was booked and paid for. People got paid. It, it got broadcast and, and everything that he said he's going to do and he's going to set out to do, he's done. He's also put a call out for investors. So there were private investors that have come up on board as well. And I'm not talking about sort of venture capital. I'm talking about um, you could buy shares, I think, starting at 500 euro um, to, to get on board and, and, and be part of it as well. So he's known how to bring people along for the ride as well. And, and it, I think he started using T10 as, you know, get it done, lower cost, uh, more games a day and go from there. But I think he's found a bit of a niche and rather than going to T20, which may be too long for the audience, he's trying to trying to get in and more and a longer time to to run, meaning more expensive, both with production and all the other costs. And I think he's going to keep it at T10, which I like because it's carved a bit of a niche for him, as I said, and it's something unique about what the European Cricket League is all about. So that's something to keep looking out for because once that comes back, you follow European Cricket on on Twitter or just look up. Um, ECL, I think it's stock cricket, and you'll be able to find it very easily because there's the they're all over the all over social media, but um, everything that they do is all streamed as well. So I think we talk about these T20 leagues looking too high, too early, and too much money at the top. He's mm-hmm. looked at the completely different different way. He's t- he's growing it from the bottom up. He's trying to grow stars locally that people will be able to relate to and 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 know. And look, I'm, I'm not going to say he's going to get to his uh, his goal of being that that sport up with the Champions League as the, the bat and ball hitting sport of, of Europe. But I'm, I'm also very prepared to um, to be proven wrong and to see it succeed because he's got the tenacity of, uh, well, I don't know, you look at all those those tech entrepreneurs out there that have built companies from, from scratch uh, and when people have told them they wouldn't be able to. And I'm not telling him he's not going to be able to. I'm going to tell him it's going to be very tough in that atmosphere. But you know, I'll tell you what, he's, he's definitely cut out for making this into as big as he wants it to be. Or hopes it it could be. Yes, certainly created a buzz actually in the cricketing fraternity because because of his credibility, right? You have rightly mentioned that people people got paid. Whereas in some of the major big T20 leagues, we have seen this problem like we have seen in Canada or 
in uh, some of the other countries the, uh, this remuneration was a big issue and credibility of these uh, those leagues got hurt but here your friend has created a credibility and he has delivered like he has delivered what he has promised so i think this is his biggest uh, you know biggest positive i think no, absolutely and i think that the credibility there is the, is the key word credibility and integrity and you know when he's going to be partnering with people that they're not going to have those second thoughts about is this actually going to happen they can actually judge things on its merits and not and not consider any of the what ifs because he's actually delivered on those prom promises up until now amazing that's amazing how everything is no i think that's how we should be um expanding the game because if we can create those local heroes then we don't need to just look for the as you were talking earlier the yusuf patans and the and the michael clarks if we can create that local buzz then that actually creates that that it keeps the game healthy for 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 a lot for a lot longer i think Oh, absolutely. And for cricket to get through this, it's going to have to be relying on the, the strength of its community, i.e. its clubs, to hold it together during this stage when there's so much less money flowing down. And it's really the game, the way the game started as an amateur sport bound together by these clubs providing players that went up to represent um, regions and countries for, for no pay. And, and I'm not saying we're going back to the times of, of amateur sport. It's never going to go that far. But hopefully the game doesn't have to look too far to go really back to its roots where people did it for all the right reasons about community and about the skills that it imparts. And, and that's why I think cricket's in such a great position to benefit, not, not to benefit, but to, to, to take advantage of, of this situation to actually be a pillar and such a positive thing for the community moving forward out of this pandemic crisis. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. I can imagine. Um, I actually got one other question about something a little bit different. Um, about and this is something which I think the whole cricket community and sporting community has to um, is 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 always battling against. And we just saw the Umar Akmal um, situation about fixing. Um, and for associate cricket, um, that must be something that whereas you as CEO as Hong Kong cricket, that must have been something that you must have been really worried about. You know, local gamblers coming in and fixing matches and. Did you ever did you ever fear any problems with that before, or? Well, we had problems. We had players and players are banned now, two of them for life for being involved in that and in matches that they actually won. Um, I think it's a huge problem, and the same for the same reasons that their uh, global cricket is very concerned about women's cricket being targeted mm. as well because the lack of, of money and, and how easy it is to get access to the, these players. And it really goes to the pastoral care aspect of, of sport and of cricket and, and looking after its young players and not just trying to squeeze it, squeeze money out of them and turning them into products. But the same same way, it's, it's investing in the education from a, a match fixing and bookies and, and whatnot point of view. So kids know as they're growing up in the game to look out for these things. It's not so much to look with a cynical eye but to know that these people are going to be approaching you because the double-edged sword of, for exposure of associate nations that they've not had before is as soon as something's streamed, people are going to be betting on it. And as soon as exactly. people are betting I on it, people... the biggest concern, right? Yeah, yeah. and people be. are going to be trying to, to influence the result however they can. And so I saw that, unfortunately, firsthand in, in Hong Kong um, with that occurring, well, both before my time and, and during my time, and those players are now um, have now been banned... Um, and look, it, it really 
tears at, at the soul, I think, of what the sport is all about. And mm. I'm sure in, in some players' heads, they are able to to convince themselves that, you know, they're, they're not taking money to lose. You know, with a lot of these things, they're just spot-fixing kind of uh, bands. Um, and I know from a Hong Kong point of view, they'd say, well, you're only in this position because of my talent anyway. So, you yeah, know, yeah. you owe, you owe me and you've never paid me a lot. So this is me trying to earn some money. You know, what's wrong with it? Trying to explain it away like that. And and again, I'm, I'm, I'm paraphrasing here or I'm not quoting for word for word here, but, mm. um, I think the game has a huge, there's a, it's incumbent on the sport to be educating our young players as they come through the system before they get to international cricket, because a lot of the times they're, they're already in the claws of, of bookmakers and of dodgy characters. Once they've got to, to international cricket, it's not at that point that they suddenly get, get approached. You know, now if, if I'm a bookie and I'm looking, I'm a dodgy bookie um, and I'm looking at the world of cricket and I'm trying to influence people, it's going to be a lot cheaper to go out and try and groom. And there's no other, no other way of explaining it, but groom, I don't know, 10 associate players and ply them with gifts and whatever, and try my hand than going after one IPL player or, because they, you're not going to, be able to get to the player. They're going to be already attuned to um, unscrupulous people uh, and it's going to cost a lot more money. So that's the problem as well when there's not as much money in the game and there's not as much support and uh, education. And and that's where, you know, the question is what what role does the betting industry have to play here as well? You've got well, the, 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 the news potentially coming of legalised sports betting in, in India on the horizon. And will that mean laws that will outlaw match fixing as well, which don't exist at the moment because that would uh, in some way go to, to condone betting. But mm. it's having law, laws that support um, the administrators to be able to prosecute um, people who are trying to fix and influence games education but also the companies that have this data are also working harder on the on the integrity side as well and training the the players as to uh, players and the administrators about recognizing patterns about when something is happening so yeah it's it's a huge threat to the game soul honestly and and look if if I said that the size of the world cup and the funding was the biggest challenge for associate cricket um, match fixing and the underworld is probably it's not far behind it. You know, we've seen yeah, some yeah. joke tournaments pop up. You know, there's that one in um, the Ajman All Stars that had people trying to run themselves out and get stumped and falling over trying to run out themselves. There's always that you know that joke about the two boxes that both took both took money to fall and they both are trying to get knocked out and they both fall over and pretend to be knocked out. It was a bit like that, you know, bowling crap balls trying to get run out and you know that. But that wasn't sanctioned. You know, the, the, mm. the authorities did everything right. That People came in and banned it. The people were banned. The ICC actually got involved, even though it wasn't within their auspices. So in general, about having associations having to, to approve cricket is good with the way of that structure. But we've got to improve the education levels for our kids coming through because otherwise, you know, by the time they're getting to playing international cricket, it's, it's probably already too late. Yeah, I can imagine, and that must be something that every cricket board, not even just the ECB, to all the way down to all the way down to associate cricket, is something that we all got to fight together to to keep it keep it as clean as possible. Yeah. It is. And one other topic that I have, sorry, Shundipon, um, is that I wanted to ask you about women's cricket and associates women's cricket. Do you uh, how how is the expansion there going? Um, 
is that I guess a bit we touched on the Olympic growth could be a big expansion for women's cricket in that area. Is there is how what's the health like in that in that context of of um, women's cricket and associate cricket together, not just Olympics but all together? I I think it's in a, in a great position. Um, I would have to say that the Thailand women's team would be my favourite cricket team. <laughs> yes. have been have have been for a couple of years. You know, I say to people, if you want to to see what the spirit of cricket is, I know it's something that uh, people say doesn't need to be at the the front of the laws anymore. But if you want to know the spirit and the joy of cricket, just watch that team play. You saw them under pressure in their first ever World Cup, getting be- beaten heavily in those first few games. Yep, they were in with a little shot against the West Indies, but not once did they lose their cool. They didn't get angry at each other. They didn't sledge. They didn't get angry at, at umpiring decisions. They just kept smiling. They kept sticking to their plans. You know, and they were they were found out. They were in a, their first international event playing against that many full members, but and and look, they would have beaten Pakistan in that. Yeah, in that, exactly. In that yeah, last, I was just thinking that yeah. as well. Pakistan well, match well, if the rain didn't come. No, they wouldn't have got close. 150 Pakistan. <laughs> you know that they they'd not scored more than 100. And th- what, what I think India hadn't scored that much against against Pakistan. They, they weren't getting near it. And it, but, but you know what? It doesn't matter because the world got to see the Thailand that we knew was there, and and it was. Great for emerging cricket. We we uh, gave them a um, a media manager for the tournament. That was Nishad uh, Rego, who Indian background, grew up in Thailand, went to school and lives in in Australia. Now yeah. again, a kind of a, a, an associate cricket story there in itself, and and that was great to be that close to the team. But from a women's cricket point of view, it's such an opportunity for countries to look at thailand and to see what can be done saying you know what we can actually get our team to a level similar to thailand with doing some simple things right and it's not going to cost a lot of money because you're not you're not fighting against other high-paying sports you know you can really focus on exactly what thailand has, has done look at other sports for conversion across or just invest in 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 a core group of people and start growing from there it can be done but um the problem will be, I think, out of um, coronavirus, especially in the the full member world, is in those countries where where women's cricket is is still being is still uh, seen as a, a cost center rather than a a core part. Um, they may struggle with and funding might start to be pared away, which I hope we don't see because you know look at what happens when you invest in the women's game in Australia. You know that's that's the again, there's a proving ground and and there's a proof of concept that it works in terms of the exposure of the WBBL. Um, what it's that's a global phenomenon in terms of women's sport and then to have the numbers watching the the, the women's T20 World Cup final. So I think it's in a precarious position in terms of investment into the game, but the opportunity is huge and Olympic cricket will only make out bigger fantastic and i think the what what i what i've loved about this interview that we've just had with you is your your passion comes through and and actually i would i have to admit i think i've been over my eyes have been wide opened by what you've said by a lot of things that you said because i did not know a lot of the stuff that you were talking about and, and the passion that you have i think is just brilliant that is for anyone to to who wants to get into cricket you're the type of person we need in this game so I always say thank you for all, all everything that you're doing and and thank you for doing this podcast as well. No, my pleasure. Really nice to be invited. And look, I'm always happy to come back and uh, 
and proselytize um, the cricket's growth. You know, that's I'm so um, no, when, whenever you want me back. And, and and like I say, if anybody wants to get in touch and ask any more questions, just just hit me up. I'm uh, I, I'm no shrinking violet on social media. You should be able to find me. But um, <laughs> I always found you on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> always, uh, always great to um, to answer any questions because I, I think people always have more things to ask about local development. Um, you know, the funding that's required and, and the players that are involved in, look, I'm, I'm always happy to field any questions. So don't be bashful, everybody out there in podcast land. No, thank you very much. Shundipa, I don't know if you have anything, any other questions for him. Yes, before letting Tim go, we need to ask him one final question. Tim, um, in this post-COVID world, do you think the other day, you were, I know you were talking to me on this other day, so I want our audience to know about it. So in this post-COVID world, do you think this is some of the, uh, you know, boards like BCCI, Cricket Australia, ECB, they need to be changed, their, they need to change their mindset a little towards this associate cricket and distribute and, and from the financial point of view? Jeez, it's a, that's a, that's a real tough one to change, changing their point of view. I, you know, it's that reliance on income from the likes of India touring that has underpinned so much growth in the full member world but that has also left uh, a power very much in 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 one corner and i wonder in a post-covid world similar to to what we're talking about before whether global cricket can take a step back and see what it can do to actually future-proof the game globally but i but i also think that uh countries like australia england and and, and the bcci maybe less india because they, they they still have the power of the, those funds coming through unlike australia might have if the india tour doesn't ha- doesn't happen it's 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 going to be less reliance on these these huge paydays coming through and the over uh, celebrity ideation and, and the payment of players and really investing in grassroots cricket again to really reconnect with with with, with communities. You know, I think that, that we're going to see post-COVID world this sort of perfect curated influencer culture really dilutes, and I hope that also means that we start treating our our sports stars like what they are, like sports stars, and bring them back to to earthly beings somewhat um, and, and not treat them like deities. And I don't think that's, that's going to happen, but how that that looks from a, exactly. a an administration point of view, I think from a funding point, like I think that all goes hand in hand and how you approach things and, and look at something for the greater good of the game and, and, and not really, really chase, chase the riches, the money for money's sake, because that can lead, lead you down paths that isn't necessarily for the game's good. And I think maybe this will take, this will mean the game needs to really take stock of what's important and what they need to, to build for the future rather than chasing dollars, which may take them to directions and, and away from their, the, the real core strategies. Absolutely. No, I think that's perfectly summed up, I think. I've just well, actually got one tiny more question I have. Not, nothing, nothing too serious at the end. <laughs> um, what, so you, uh, you said you were, you're a spin bowler, right? Um, are you uh, all-rounder? What position did you bat? What was your... What would you what would you consider yourself as a cricketer? Uh, consider myself the unluckiest six foot five left arm orthodox bowler not to play for Australia. No, I <laughs> um uh, definitely a, a spinning all, all rounder that uh, when I was younger I used to sort of open the innings as well, but that it was 
not in at the strongest club. As my days went on, I'd be a sort of mid, middle to low order right-hand batsman who liked to go hard, but all too often was coming in with a lot of wickets down for not many runs. So a lot of uh, saviour innings in my in my later years, which I loved. I loved playing that role. Whenever there was a chance of going as a night watchman, I would always put my hand up. But um, I ended up opening the bowling as a left-arm orthodox spinner and with a white ball, try to be really attacking, trying to take wickets. Uh, had a, an, an arm ball that swung back in quite a much, uh, quite a bit that I used to try and use a bit. But as I got uh, got fatter, I got less uh, less accurate. <laughs> but um, no, I'd, I'd say that that uh, when I was younger, I was a left arm orthodox bowler with a uh, with a fast bowler's attitude. But I, I, I mellowed into my uh, my later years to be a, a much nicer person on the field. So you bowled like Phil Tufnell. <laughs> uh, oh, geez, I, I'd be very happy to bowl like him. I would, um, yeah, I, I, not not as a not as energetic in, in his run up, but I was lucky that I had my height. You know, I'm 193 centimeters tall, so I <laughs> I already had that height to to get up and over and and get that the ball um, getting above the eye line. So I didn't have to toss it up quite as much to get the same effect. So I took advantage of that. But no, no, Phil Tufnell definitely a kid. As a kid, I looked up to him and Ven Katapati Raju were two guys I, I used to love bowling. Used to love watch bowling when I was uh, I was younger. It was always funny watching these guys that even when they're playing against a <laughs> Australia, there was always a soft spot for the left arm spinner. Um, and I remember Ven Catapati getting uh, both Mark Waugh and Dean Jones stumped in the one game in the early 90s. And despite those two being my favourite players growing up, I was still pretty excited because it was the left arm spinner that got them. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, I think this is where we're going to have to say goodbye. As I can't believe it's been a 90-minute conversation. It feels like it's just flown by. Thank you again, Tim, no, my um, pleasure. for coming on. Um, we've really enjoyed that. Nipun, do you have any last words? Yes, and uh, I would like our audience, our listeners to go visit Tim's Emerging Cricket Forum. He's doing some wonderful job. There are some brilliant stories over there from the associate world. I think do check out for that. Um, and we're going to put this um, podcast on at SoundCloud for the first time. So so we're going to get a wider audience to listen to this. And fantastic that we've had Tim to be our first guest on that. Thank you, Breaking the mold. <laughs> Fantastic. And over and out. See you guys.